so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC podcast. I'm open to hearing the argument that the ERLC needs like a variety show. Like that sounds like that would be interesting. Like what? Like what? With talents? Is that what a variety show is? <laughs> I already sing on this. What, what more can I do? I can't beatbox. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC podcast, where each week we'll be talking about our work at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians should know about the things going on in the world. I'm Lindsay Nicolay, and with me back this week in the studio is... The one and only Brent Leatherwood. Hello, Lindsay. Did you enjoy your conversation last week with Hannah? I did, yes. She was much more pleasant to talk to than you. Yes, and it's it's fascinating to hear what, what is going on in Washington, D.C. Well, what's fascinating to me is that Hannah is a youngin, as they say, and she is doing fabulous work in D.C. running that office. Yes, on, be, on behalf of Southern Baptist, so. Yes, she is, yep. We're pretty uh, proud so, of Hannah. Yeah, very proud, very impressed. Uh, also, I just feel like the audience needs to know this behind-the-scenes information that before we started, we were talking about beatboxing, and you do not know what it is. In fact, you said, is it like a boombox? Yep. Well, when, then when you actually did it, I thought that that was rapping. No, I is thought you be- were getting ready to to rap. <laughs> is this because you only listen to country music and patriotic music and musical scores and Christmas music and Christmas music? That's right. I forgot about that. Well, at least we've corrected this cultural faux pas. You now know what beatboxing is. Well, I mean, in those musical genres, you don't need beatboxing. Maybe there's some beatboxing in there that you just hadn't picked up on. You just thought it was a boombox entering into the background. Now you can go home and teach your kids what what beatboxing is. But before we continue to go downhill uh, in this opening, let's start talking about what's been happening lately. And we will begin with what the ERLC has been featuring. This week, we have been focusing on all things technology and digital because it is our colleague and friend Jason Thacker uh, released a book on Tuesday, and it's titled Following Jesus in a Digital Age. This is his second book. And we know that you will find it extremely helpful because not a lot of people are... uh, discussing the intersection of the digital age and Christian ethics. And so this article that Jason has written is titled, Why the Mislabeling of Pregnancy Resource Centers on Yelp Needs to be Corrected, Combating Lack of Information and Misinformation. And this is an example of some of the things that he helps us to think through in his new book. This particular topic isn't in his book, but misinformation and disinformation and conspiracy theories and different things like that are. So Jason in this article is addressing a recent development that Yelp, which is a search engine? Is that what we would call it? That's what the people call it. 
Yeah, that's what the people call it. Yelp is a search engine. You go online to find restaurants and different things like that. Well, you can go online to find uh, abortion clinics or pregnancy resource centers. But what Yelp is doing is they are labeling pregnancy resource centers. They call them crisis pregnancy centers. And they are putting a label on there that says that they may not have medical providers. And what it would do is it would discourage people from going to those clinics uh, because it sows seeds of distrust. However, they're not doing the same thing to the abortion clinics because many abortion clinics do not have medical providers. And the reality is many pregnancy resource centers do have trained medical professionals on staff. So Jason talks about why this, this should not be the case and how Christians can promote truth in our online engagement. Yeah. So backing up to the front, Jason's book, Following Jesus in a Digital Age, this is a part of the larger project that he's been spearheading now for us for really over a year, the uh, Digital Public Square. And uh, Jason has done a remarkable job either just thinking through issues that are out there or calling together uh, leading intellectuals in the area of ethics or digital governance or producing great resources. And, and this book is, uh, is the latest resource to come out of that project. And so we're really excited for him personally uh, for the release of this new book. And um, we'll, we'll link to it in the, in the show notes for, for anyone who might be interested in, in purchasing it. This particular article, though, it falls right in line uh, with that portfolio in the digital public square because it seeks to not only equip Christians uh, with how to you know, kind of process all this, this information overload, frankly, that we're all confronted with uh, online or, or with social media platforms, but it also has a, a portion of it that seeks to work with these digital platforms and help them to think through issues related to human dignity or conscience rights or uh, religious liberty. And uh, for this, I mean, this is a pretty kind of black and white issue. Uh, what Yelp is doing is mislabeling these pregnancy resource centers and, and trying to somehow make it seem as if a, a woman who is pregnant uh, and is seeking care and information will not be able to find that at these, these pregnancy resource clinics, which is just completely untrue. And the reason for their rationale for doing that essentially is because, well, they are elevating abortion to make it mean medical care. And we know that's just not right. So it, they're, they're mislabeling uh, these pregnancy resource centers, and then they are failing to tell the truth about what actually goes on at many of these abortion clinics, which, I mean, quite a few of them, many of them are now closing down in the wake of the, the fall of Roe v. Wade. They're failing to say, like, they're essentially just abortion mills, and that's that's effectively all they do. Um, so they're not they're not treating these entities the the same at all, uh, and they are in effect disparaging these pregnancy resource clinics who have workers that are they go out of their way each and every day to to serve these women and provide them with medical care, and so Jason's piece here really thinks through it criticizes what Yelp is doing. And, and tries to, to tell Yelp and these other platforms instead how they should treat pregnancy resource clinics uh, if, if they're going to engage in this area. Another area that is a major concern in the digital age and one that Christians need to be 
equipped to confront with the truth is the subject of pornography. And Alex Ward has written a piece titled, How Technology Contributes to a Pornified Culture, Sexuality in the Digital Age. And Alex is describing in this article how people want pornography online. They want to separate sexuality from a person, and they want things that only will gratify themselves, and they treat other people as objects. And uh, this is one paragraph that I wanted to read that really sums up some of the disastrous effects of pornography and what it reveals about us. He says, we do not desire real sex between two people, bringing with it all the vulnerability and responsibility that it entails, and I add in parentheses, within a God-designed marriage between a man and a woman. But instead, our culture desires a sea of sexual licentiousness where individuals can seek their own pleasure through the use of another individual, real or imagined. If the pill gave us sex without pregnancy, then the widespread adoption of internet pornography has given us sexuality without people. And then he goes on to talk about just the effects of that on Christians and on our culture and our call as believers— who look to God's word to see sex has made for the bounds of marriage and to see other people and to treat them not as objects, but as those made in God's image who have worth and value that cannot be taken away and that we should fight to respect and protect. And he backs this up with uh, statistics in this piece. And this just jumped out to me, this, this paragraph here. This past year, the data revealed that once again, pornography is not meant to give us reality, but to feed us an illusion. The most searched four terms of 2021 in the U.S. included a form of Japanese pornographic anime known for its unrealistic depictions of body parts and the term lesbian. So he writes this. Think about that for a moment. Men are the most likely candidates to view pornography, and they have opted overwhelmingly for sexual acts that are impossible for them to ever actually participate in. Because anime is drawn characters, and lesbian is acts between women. So, I, I mean, that's, that, that is a, uh, an insight that Alex provides in this piece. This is really helpful, uh, and it just reminds me of a conversation we were having with state uh, leaders in the SBC and state ethics leaders uh, across the SBC last year when we gathered them here in Nashville and we're asking them, okay, what what are the things that at the at the state level that you all are dealing with that your pastors and ministry leaders are coming forward? And uh, one of the real big items that they came back with was pornography. Uh, our, our churches are just continually dealing with this and pastors are continually getting questions about it. And because of the advent of technology, it reminds me of an anecdote Russell Moore used to always point out is that, you know, just a couple decades ago, if you wanted to go get pornography, you had to go to a physical place uh, to, to get it, or you had to get a physical item. Now it's at your fingertips uh, in your phones or on laptops. And so it, it is everywhere, and Christians have got to be especially clear about this uh, in confronting it uh, and, and helping people either avoid it or, or recover from it. Well, and like you were saying, people having to go physically somewhere, there was also shame associated with it. So you were, I mean, you had to confront a person when you were getting it, and if people saw you, you were ashamed. Now mm. you could just be by yourself in— and the no privacy of your home, know. and no nobody would, would know. know. Mm -hmm. I think one of the 
keys for Christians to combat this and for Christians to overcome this struggle in their own lives is being transformed by the renewing of our minds, like Romans says. Realizing the truth, because I think some people just partake of pornography because it is so widely available. We're desensitized to it because there's soft and hard pornography on TV, even in shows that our grandparents would just be so embarrassed about. And we don't think through the reality of what we might be partaking in and what it says we think about the people on the other side of the screen. We don't think through the ramifications of that. We don't think about those made in God's image that are being victimized. And so we've got to be in God's Word, know what God's Word says, and then retrain our minds by God's grace to think on the truth. And then the good news is, is that he who's in us is greater than he who's in the world. And that the Lord um, grants forgiveness and redemption to those who confess their sins to him. And that should give us great hope. So these two articles, along with others that are on our site, I think will go a long way in equipping you to think well about the digital age and will motivate you to take action so that you can be a proponent of truth in your online engagement and so that you can glorify the Lord in that as well. But for now, Brent, that's your look on what's happening on ERLC.com. And now it's time for the culture section. Brent, why don't you tell us what's happening in the world? Lindsay, this week, the United Nations released a long-awaited report on human rights violations in China, and it is a bombshell. Now, it doesn't go quite as far as some of us would hope by characterizing China's heinous treatment of the Uyghur people as a genocide, but it does say that serious human rights violations have occurred. All right, so this comes to us from the New York Times. The United Nations Human Rights Office accused China of serious human rights violations that, quote, may constitute international crimes, in particular, crimes against humanity. In its mass detention of Uyghurs and other predominantly Muslim groups in its far western region of Xinjiang, the 48-page report did not use the word genocide, a designation applied by the United States and by an unofficial tribunal in Britain last year. But it validated rights groups and activist claims that China has detained Uyghurs, Kazakhs, and others, often for having overseas ties or for expressing religious faith. To Uyghur activists, the report's findings were a powerful vindication of their years-long effort to draw attention to the suppression of ethnic minorities in Xinjiang. Beijing has routinely rejected any assertions of arbitrary detentions and abuses in the region and has accused Uyghur activists of lying. The activists say that their families in the region have been imprisoned, detained, and threatened by the authorities to try to silence them. So this is important for a number of reasons, but the reality is everything that is contained in here, we now know why Chinese authorities have pushed so hard to keep this report from being publicized. It now is undeniable, and honestly, it confirms what we all know to be clear. The acts that are being perpetrated uh, in this western part of China, they are heinous, and they are, as it says here, crimes against humanity. And we know at the RLC and and in the SBC, China needs to be confronted over this. Uh, they, they do not need to be allowed uh, to participate in, uh, you know, uh, the, the international uh, public square while this is allowed to continue. It needs to be stopped. There's no doubt about it anymore. 
So Southern Baptists were the first American faith tradition to call it what it is, which is genocide. And we adopted a resolution at the 2021 annual meeting, thanks in part to Pastor Griffin Gulledge, who tweeted about this Uyghur genocide, and it went viral and really started raising people's attention and calling them to action. And so recognizing that these Uyghurs are made in God's image and um, they have, as we often talk about, dignity that God has given to them, we need to stand up and stand against this mistreatment of them. That's right. The passage of the Gulledge Resolution was certainly an important moment. It, It followed the Trump administration's determination that what was going on in China uh, was a genocide. The Biden administration uh, also uh, kept that determination. And so uh, both officially from our government's standpoint, but then also to have our network of churches uh, when when we get together at at our annual meeting uh, for us to say uh, that this is genocide. Uh, That's a a powerful, if you will, one-two punch. And now this UN report uh, is validating uh, those concerns. The Uyghur people are being systematically enslaved, put into forced labor camps. They face, women faced forced sterilizations and abortions. And honestly, it seems like to analysts out there, this is an effort by the Chinese Communist Party to erase uh, the Uyghur identity uh, from their national borders. This is a, a a human rights disaster that is taking place in China. And so we're thankful that this report has finally been released, and hopefully it provides needed momentum for the United Nations to take an official stance against China. We'll see. All right, our next story comes to us from Baptist Press, and it is about a federal appeals court rejecting the transgender mandate, something that we have talked about previously here on the podcast. The Biden administration has received another setback from a federal court, this time at the appellate level, in its effort to institute transgender rights, even at the expense of the freedom of conscience. The U.S. Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans blocked on August 26th a Department of Health and Human Services rule that required doctors and hospitals to perform gender transition procedures as well as abortions. I actually provided a quote to Baptist Press on this because it is an important development. I said this, Baptists have long recognized God alone is Lord of the conscience, as it states in the Baptist faith and message. This ruling adheres to that truth and protects doctors and healthcare providers from violating their consciences by conducting gender transition surgeries or abortions. The government must understand that asking medical personnel to go against their sincerely held religious beliefs is an abuse of state authority. This result is not only a victory for the rights of doctors, but also recognizes that the conscience is not some trivial item that can be paved over. And so uh, this is going to be playing out in other uh, courts. I think there are some additional challenges to it, and it will be interesting to see how those courts come back, where ultimately this is probably headed will be split circuit decisions, uh, which means that it will be ripe for the U.S. Supreme Court to take up, and we will certainly be active on that. But this is uh, this is a good ruling, a ruling that certainly Baptists uh, should appreciate, Christians should appreciate, people of conscience should appreciate, because um, you know these obviously we know about the evils of abortion, but these gender transition procedures 
they are making life-altering medical changes to a, a person's body. And in many cases, this these doctors are actually being asked to go against their own medical analysis about what is proper for this patient. And uh, thankfully, this court recognized that. Well, and we do plan to have an explainer up about this early next week. So I know a lot of the details are confusing. And this is a good ruling. And I just want to clarify on this, too, while we're waiting on that explainer. So so this court has ruled that if a doctor was requested to do this, uh, that doctors could say no, or nurses could say no, I, this goes against my conscience. I do not want to participate in this procedure without them having any professional consequences. Right. Well, I mean, at this point, the the rule is blocked, and so it's not in effect. Even in effect. Right. Okay, great. That is good news, and we are thankful for how this court has ruled. And our final story is probably something that's flying a little bit under the radar, uh, but it's something that certainly our audience would be interested in. This uh, comes to us, this last story comes to us from Courthouse News, and at Yeshiva University appeals to the Supreme Court And from the story, it says this, an Orthodox Jewish university asked the Supreme Court on Monday to block a ruling that would force it to officially recognize an LGBTQ club on its campus. Yeshiva University, which has added secular degrees over time but was founded to prepare students for the Hebrew Orthodox ministry, claims recognizing a club known as the YU Pride Alliance goes against its religious beliefs. Quote, Yeshiva has determined based on consultation with its Roshe Yeshiva, who opine on Jewish law for Jews all over the world, that an official Pride Alliance club, as described by plaintiffs as understood by the culture at large, would be inconsistent with Yeshiva's religious environment and Torah values. Eric Baxter, an attorney at Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty, wrote in the school's application before the court. The emergency filing, which was submitted to Justice Sonia Sotomayor, asked the court to halt a ruling from a trial court in New York before the state appeals court has weighed in on the merits of the case. Baxter said the court could also alternatively consider the application as a petition for writ of certiorari to grant the school relief. Yeshiva claims urgency is necessary since the school's fall semester has already begun, as has the application process for the club. Three former and one current student want the school to formally recognize the LGBTQ Advocacy Club. Obviously, this is important uh, for us in in Southern Baptist life because we have six seminaries uh, that also prepare a good number of students uh, for ministry in our churches. And uh, this case could end up, if it's uh, decided the wrong way, could end up being something uh, that our own seminaries uh, face. And so, obviously, uh, this is uh, a case that now that it's been been brought to our attention, we're going to be uh, watching very closely and may even be participating in uh, in terms of uh, the briefs that are filed in support of this school's right to say, hey, this club doesn't comport with our values, and so therefore we're not going to recognize it. So I, d- I need some clarification. I have some questions about it. So I'm assuming that this is a private university. Yes, Yeshiva is a private Jewish Orthodox university. Have they, do you know in your reading up on it, that have they received government funds? I haven't. I assume that they do in some ways. At the same time, again, not reading uh, what the plaintiffs have filed, they're probably trying to say that 
they are a protected class. And so whether it's a private university okay. or not, they, they have to be respected in that sense. I, I don't know. Again, that's without seeing what the plaintiffs uh, have filed before the court. I can't quite say what their theory of the case is just yet. Right. So this is similar to other things that we've seen where sexual uh, orientation and gender identity are wanting to be viewed as protected classes. Yes, right. So either way, whether it's through the federal funding or just because, you know, they're they're advocating that they are a protected class, either way, for that to trump uh, what this private university uh, is seeking to do and how it prepares and educates its students, that would be a, a bridge too far. I mean, you would you would have the school recognizing an organization that does not adhere to the specific values that the school says it it promotes. And so this is an important legal matter. Now, we should be clear, the process that they are taking, the Supreme Court may say, hey, this isn't for us, at least not at this point, uh, because there is a state appeals process that's ongoing. Uh, and the, the U.S. Supreme Court may prefer for that process to continue before they intervene. So there's several ways that this could play out, and we're going to be watching all of those avenues. And as we watch them, when it's relevant, we will have explainers and different things up to help Southern Baptists understand what all is going on with this. And Brent, uh, one more note, pivoting subjects here. You said that this was the final story in the culture section. However, that cannot be the final story in the culture section because there is a major cultural event happening this weekend. And we need to talk about it real quick. That's right. Well, actually, it begins on Thursday night because the University of Tennessee volunteers are beginning their 2022 campaign in Knoxville, Tennessee. They're losing campaign, of course. No, but, no, yes, because they're not. They're football not, season. They're not the Gators. That's what's going to happen this year. I think y'all are going to find that you. Well, Gators, Vols, you know, it just they're going to fall. That's okay. But it is college football season. That means. College game day, that means all the football snacks, that means cool, crisp weather, uh, even though it's not officially fall. It's exciting. That means NFL starting back up. I don't really love NFL, but I love to have it on the TV. Yeah, right. Well, all I mean, the things. Yeah, professional football is just kind of like, a, for me, it's just kind of a thing you keep on in the background. Background, yeah. yeah. The U.S. Open is going on also, and Serena Williams is in it, and she has advanced, and she may retire after this. So mm-hmm. she's, she's indicated going. this may be one of her final matches, if not her final match. Yeah, and nope. she took down the number two seed. Oh, nice. Yes, so she marches on. She's going for her twenty third. I think it was twenty third consecutive Grand Slam or twenty third Grand Slam or something like that. I don't know. Something like that. She also appeared this week on the cover of Time Magazine as the greatest of all time in in women's tennis, which that's pretty hard to argue with. Yes. Well, and. LeBron James put on social media, he was watching her and he was filming it and he was baying or maying like a goat. He was and what? Baying ba- or maying? In the baying? Baying. Okay. Is that what it is? I think so. I don't know. I don't but know anyway, what baying is. Baying is ba. Maying is meh, like a goat. And he was saying that he was speaking goat language to to Serena because they understand goat language because they are both the, the goats of their respective sports. But apparently when you're a goat, a well-known goat, you can meh on social media and nobody will laugh at you. <laughs> <laughs> 
I will laugh at you if you I'm not you well known. This. Okay. <laughs> on that note, but you are, are known you to our Lord and football? Savior Jesus Christ, and that's, that's really right. what matters, Lindsay yes. Nicolay. Thank you for the Jesus. Okay. Too. All right. Okay. Are you ready for some football? That's all I have to say. There you go. Go Gators. Go Vols. Just a reminder, you can find links to all the things we talked about today in the show notes. And if you like the podcast, please consider helping us spread the word by sharing the episode on social media or going into your favorite podcast app and leaving us a rating and review. The ERLC podcast is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission and is hosted by Lindsay Nicolay and Brent Leatherwood. Technical production provided by Owens Productions. It's edited and mixed by Mark Owens. And in addition to listening to the ERLC podcast, be sure to check out our other ERLC podcasts. The Digital Public Square airs every Monday, and its host is Jason Thacker, who is one of the leading voices on technology and ethics. And if you like staying informed about important policy decisions that matter to Southern Baptists, Capital Conversations is our podcast directly from Capitol Hill, which is hosted by our colleague, Chelsea Sobolet. Search for The Digital Public Square and Capital Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week with more content. Mm-hmm.